Support for today's show comes from Locker Room, the best place to talk sports. Make sure to follow me on Locker Room at Jake Reiner, and I'll invite you to chat on my weekly baseball room, uniquely titled Meeting on the Mound. Download Locker Room for free on the Apple App Store today and join the conversation. Welcome to Meeting on the Mound. I'm Jake Reiner. My next guest has been the radio voice of the Los Angeles Dodgers for the last 16 seasons, going into his 17th season this year. Before he came to L.A. in 2005, he called Yankees games for three seasons. And before that, he worked at ESPN for 14 years. He's a five-time Emmy Award winner and National Radio Hall of Famer. Please welcome Charlie Steiner. Welcome to the show, Charlie. Thank you, Jake. So this past season was very odd and it seems like 2021 is going to be even more odd because we don't really know what's going to happen but I I just wanted to ask you are you excited for 2021? I think so you know coming off 2020 which was so bizarre uh sad difficult for all of us um it looks like things are beginning to get a little bit better. I certainly hope they will. Um, you know, I did all the games from from my home, uh, which I never expected could happen. Uh, uh, logistically or even emotionally doing games from, from my living room. Um, and then, of course, the Dodgers winning the World Series. Now, the season tentatively is supposed to get underway as scheduled. We'll see. Uh, there are bigger forces at play than the Major League Players Association and MLB. Um, and hopefully we will all be uh, uh, headed in the right direction out of the uh, COVID woods. Um, so, you know, as we talk, we're about three weeks away from the opening of spring training at least on paper. Um, one of the things I learned about last year was that nobody knows nothing about nothing <laughs> until suddenly we're either playing or not. So am I excited? Yes. Will we go back to seeing 45, 50,000 fans a night at Dodger Stadium anytime soon? Not likely. Yeah. Um, and so this is all framed with a giant asterisk uh, about the season ahead. Uh, mm -hmm. Teams are going about their business as best as they can in building and rebuilding a roster, getting ready for the year. Um, but they're also doing so having no idea how much, if any, revenue they will be bringing in. So, you know, we're in a hurry up and wait mode. And, you know, when we play, we'll play. Exactly. And so you mentioned doing games on your couch last season. Have the Dodgers talked to you about how the setup will be this year? Are you going to be in the booth or are you going to still be at home? The way it's going to work this year, and this has only been uh, decided in the last few days, I'm going to get my second shot in two weeks. Um, your vaccine, right? My vaccine. Uh, let me backtrack a little bit about vaccines. 
when I was a kid, I mean, a little when we used to get booster shots every year from our from our doctor, yep. polio shots. We didn't want to go to the doctor for fear that he would be puncturing a sharp needle into our arm. Now that we're a little older, we can't wait to get the shot. Um, <laughs> so I've had one. I'm going to get another, and then presumably we'll uh, we'll be okay. Uh, so as of now, in fact, we talked about it uh, just a couple of hours before you and I started talking. Uh, Rick Monday and I will be doing the games from Dodger Stadium, whether they're home or away. We're not going on the road this year. Uh, and we will be working out of one of the luxury suites so we can be uh, sufficiently distant. Um, and so that's where that is. So if you ask me, am I, am I excited about the season? I'm looking forward to getting out of the house. Right. And so are you are you joining Joe and Oral at Dodger Stadium or are they traveling or or are they not no, traveling? I don't, we're not. The Dodgers are not traveling anybody. Mm-hmm. Um, again, one of the things we found that especially in my case and, and, and Mo who would do the games in Dodger Stadium and I did them uh, for my home. As you listen to the broadcast, you have no idea that we weren't there. Right. A couple of weeks ago, I finally got to watch the World Series film. I didn't need any great rush to go see it. I knew who won. <laughs> but, I, but when I watched it and listened to it, you know, you got the highlights and all of that in there. I watched it from the very seat from which I broadcast the games on the uh, monitor. Uh, from which I watched the game and I listened to the highlights of the World Series and I had no idea I wasn't there. <laughs> so it was, it was quite remarkable that technically we were able to do what we did uh, without a, a drop-off at all. It took about eight or ten games to get uh, technically in sync um, but for Mo and I, hell, we're, we're going into our 17th year together. We're like an old married couple. We can uh, fill in uh, the sentence that uh, we may uh, stop for a moment and fill in the blank. So that was never an issue. Um, and one of the things we discovered, I'm just waxing on here for a minute, uh, Doc Emmerich did the Stanley Cup Finals from his home. Um I saw Tarico and uh, Tony Dungy do a couple of Sunday night games for C- uh, for NBC, and they were not at the stadium. Uh, so this may be a byproduct down the road for teams who do not want to spend you know a significant sum of money traveling their their talent on the road. Whether that comes to be or not, we'll find out. But I think listeners and viewers are, are a lot more understanding of it now that they're used to watching you know these interviews on Zoom on television every night. Yeah, you make an interesting point about where we're headed in terms of broadcasting baseball. But I know that Vin Scully talked about all the time how he would be influenced by the crowd. And I'm just curious, you know, even you know, Joe and Oral broadcasting the games from Dodger Stadium, there weren't any fans there. So I don't know what what advantage they had versus you being at home. But 
do you also feed off the crowd? And what was that like to not have the crowd uh, reaction to feed off of? That, that was the first significant adjustment I had to make. Um, A, everybody knew there was nobody there. Uh, B, whatever crowd noise there was, was essentially manufactured. And so on a great play in a great moment, uh, was I supposed to get really excited because there was nobody there, yet the play was good. Um, So you you didn't want to oversell it. You didn't want to undersell it. And so finding the proper modulation, and perhaps this is too much inside baseball broadcasting, but finding the right pitch with, 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 with my voice was, was a work in progress early on. Um, but then at the end, you know, when they won the World Series, um, and again, there were some people in the stands, but whatever enthusiasm uh, I had, you know, it came from my heart and my gut. Uh, but, you know, in, in the 38th game of a season that would have 60 and nobody's there and who really cares trying to get overly enthused or not enthused enough, that was the uh, that was the difficult part. Yeah, I imagine it. I imagine it would be. Um, but so y- you've, you know, kind of got the hang of it now and you're going in you're going into 2021. Um, have you thought about how much longer you want to do this? I mean, do you kind of take it year by year? Yeah, I guess I'm at that point now. Um, I, it's still fun. Uh, the only real hard part for me over the last year or two or three was going on the road. You know, the road beat me up, uh, and I'm the first one to admit it and uh, not too proud to say that it beat me. I've been doing it for 40 something years. And so, you know, getting into a hotel at three or four o'clock in the morning and, and then going out, you know, seven, eight hours later, get ready for another game. And that just kind of wears you out. But that, you know, that now has been less of an issue. I'm not going to be traveling at all this year. And I suspect next year I won't be traveling much either, but that's down the road. I mean, I still love doing baseball games. Um, I don't particularly like traveling. Um, and so as of now, as, as this scenario plays itself out, I'm pretty comfortable with it. Yeah. It kind of reminds me of the talk about the universal DH and how the universal DH could prolong a lot of careers for guys that were only considered by American league teams now they can be considered by National League teams. You're sort of like the designated broadcaster. You don't have to play the field. You don't have to go on the road. So it it does it does make a lot of sense for you now that you've you know you've had an established career to kind of you know ha- have these luxuries, right? This is sort of the, the the perks that are kicking in. Yeah, you know, I guess seniority has its privileges. You know, Vince started to cut back. Oof. Uh, maybe four or five years after I started. And, you know, again, travel wears you out. And this year in particular, and again, the Dodgers are not traveling anybody, and I don't know that very many teams will be traveling folks. Um, 
I mean, in terms of a life, you would fly in with a team, socially distant and protocols and all of that. You'd go to the hotel and you'd stay in your hotel room all day. Yep. And it's like, come on. Um, so, again, thankfully, uh, the Dodgers have been in more than gracious and more than understandable in, in uh, understanding my position. And, uh, and again, with the, the COVID thing, I wasn't like your dad. I wasn't going nowhere, no how. <laughs> yeah, the COVID is actually one of the, the greatest things to happen to my father so that he doesn't have to ever leave the house. This was like, he, he didn't want to leave the house anyway, but this is giving him permission to not leave. That's exactly so. right. The thing that I miss most about uh, this COVID thing, you know, your dad and I would have lunch every week or 10 days Yeah, uh, inside a restaurant. What a right. concept. Um, yeah. and that is certainly isn't happening now. And, and when it does, uh, we'll, we'll figure that out then, but, uh, yeah, everything is different and I I'm okay with the differences. I'm not going out and doing stupid shit. Uh, I'm just, you know, riding this thing out until, uh, it's, it's safe to go out and play again. Right. Well, I want to take you back to some moments uh, of your career, some of your favorite calls. And I'd like to point out a couple of my favorite calls of yours, and maybe you can kind of fill me in on some of the ones that I may not remember or ones that really stuck with you. Obviously the one, and you even talked about it having uh, legs at the time you said it was in 2003, the ALCS game seven, uh, Aaron Boone hits a walk-off home run in the bottom of the 11th against Tim Wakefield. Uh, Yankees go to the World Series. They beat the Red Sox. And the the one thing that always sticks with me when I watch that play, even if I don't watch it with sound, is you saying, Aaron Boone. Yeah. That's the one thing that always sticks with me. Aaron Boone to lead off. His first at-bat of the game. There's a fly ball deep to left. It's on its way. There it goes. And the Yankees are going to the World Series. And I'm just, I just wanted to get your thoughts on that take on that call because it's so iconic. And is it one of your favorites? I guess it is. And again, and it has the legs. Um, again, in 2003 and 2004, the Yankees and Red Sox played each other 26 times. Uh, 19 during the regular season, and then seven in the postseason. And in 2003, of course, uh, it would go to the bottom half of the 11th inning. And so in the 26th game, the 11th inning of the 26th game, these two teams are tied. One run will determine the difference between these two great teams. And, and at that time, that was as good a rivalry as the sports ever had. And I was working with a fellow named John Sterling, who is still with the Yankees, God bless him. And the way it worked, you know, 
he would do the 10th inning. I would do the 11th. And if there was the 12th, it would go back and forth and back and forth. 10th inning, nothing happens. It's the 11th inning now. And the Red Sox famously had just run out of bullpen parts. And, and poor Grady Little was really unfairly treated about keeping with uh, Pedro Martinez as long as he did because he had nobody healthy in the bullpen. He had nothing. Um, so now it goes to the 11th. And two things are at play. One, during the postseason, they add a 30-second commercial cluster between innings. And the radio station, WCBS in New York, added like 45 seconds for that 30-second cluster. So now I am watching, you know, John is about to reintroduce me. Uh, Boone is coming out of the on-deck circle. Uh, the commercial finally ends, and John sets up the 11th inning. I had no time at all to set up the pitch. And I think, and so it was like he stopped. I started first pitch, 11th inning, there's a high fly ball. And it was like, uh-oh, <laughs> this is going to be a moment. You know, your brain is going a million miles an hour, but the first thing you want to keep your eye on is the ball and, and, and the moment. And so you don't have time to think. You don't have time to create this moment. It all just happened. Um, and when I screamed at Aaron Boone, and I agree, that's probably what made the call. It wasn't something that I had prepared for. Aaron Boone. Um, when I see Aaron now, all these years later, I, before I even say hello, I'll just say, Aaron Boone. <laughs> so and I said to him after the game, many hours after the game at a place called Dorian's on the east side, upper east side of Manhattan, uh, where the Yankees are celebrating at about four, five, six o'clock in the morning. I said, whether you like it or not, my friend, you're stuck with me the rest of your life and beyond, as yep. I am with you. Um, and so, yeah, I, I, it just captured the unexpected nature of the moment. Again, it wasn't uh, prefabricated. It, it just was. And I think that's what, that's what makes good calls great and great calls you know, live uh, beyond its means. Did you have to cut John Sterling off? No, but there was just no time. Yeah. He just said it and, and, and whatever he said, and then boom. I mean, so it, there was less than a second from the time he started the bottom half of the 11th inning and, uh, and me just jumping in. So it was yeah. just boom. There and was then, a team and I took it. And then at the end, you got to join in with him for the Yankees win. What was that uh, like? Well, it was weird because, and again, John and I have really developed a, a terrific friendship over the years. Um, but, you know, the, the, the play is unfolding. Um, and Boone jumps into the scrum, whatever it was, final score. And then John jumped in because he felt like he had to put his Yankees win uh, signature on, on it. And – what am I going to say? No. Um, and so he did. 
And I figured, well, shit, we've come this far. So I joined them at the end. All together now. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. One more time. Uh, <laughs> that's how it, it came It came to pass. And people said, oh, he jumped on this, he jumped on that. No, you know, when, when we're doing stuff like that, especially in big moments, there's no time to prepare. You just go with your instinct, your gut. You know, John has been at this in this business 60 years. I've been at it 50 something. Um, so you just do what you do and hopefully it works. I, I do remember as Boone was circling the bases, the crowd is going crazy. The vibration of the fans is palpable at your feet in the booth. And when I finished the call, however it was that I finished it, I remember clenching my fist and, and thinking to myself, yeah, you didn't fuck it up. <laughs> and, and, and that's what it was. And that's exactly how I felt about it. Then it's all over. And we're told that there was going to be this private celebration at this, at this bar Dorian. Uh, I'm driving from the Bronx to the Upper East Side and I'm, I turn on the radio and, and the network newscast. Everybody is playing this call immediately. And it was like, ooh, this call does have legs. Yeah. Um, and so from that, the, pretty much the first time I remember hearing it in the car as a listener, I went, yeah, that one's all right. Yeah. I actually remember when when you came over to the Dodgers in 2005. I remember thinking, "Oh my God, we got the Aaron Boone guy!" Like we got the Aaron be, Boone guy. We, he's going to be in the booth. Yeah, um, and, and here it is now, going on 17 years later. It's a uh, what a long, strange trip it's been. Yeah, and I want to talk about the the last game you called uh, in 2020, which was Game Six of the 2020 World Series. And I want to talk about that call because it it was it was such a great call, and a lot of people were watching it on on TV on Fox. You heard uh, Joe Buck, you know, the Dodgers have won it all in 2020, and Joe Buck is is can be a minimalist sometimes. He'll just say one thing and then kind of just step back. But you sort of encapsulated the moment um, for Dodgers fans because of, of the weight that we had been waiting. And for me, I'd never experienced a World Series win before in my lifetime. Furious to Adamas. Call strike three. The Dodgers win. Finally, the wait is over. The Dodgers are the champions of 2020 in a year like no other, where joy has been so hard to come by. Tonight, tears of joy. Let them flow. Tonight, there is joy in Mudville. The curse of 88 is 88 and out the gate, and the Dodgers are celebrating out in the middle of the field between home plate and the pitcher's mound. The Dodgers, for the first time since 1988, 32 seasons are the champions of baseball. The 32-year drought was over. You said, finally, the wait is over. But my favorite part was you said, in a year like no other, where joy has been so hard to come by, tonight, tears of joy, let them flow. And the thing that's, that struck me about that call was that it was very reminiscent of Vin Scully's 
Kirk yeah. Gibson 1988 home run call in a year that has been so improbable, the impossible has happened. Right. Did you think about that while you were saying those words? I'll tell you how it all kind of came to pass. That morning, and I still talk to Vin often, and he's been a friend, a mentor, a hero, all of that stuff. So I called him that morning before the game. And I'm thinking, I said, well, Vin, you know, this may be tonight, you know? And, 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 and I said, so I have this idea that I want to run past you. He said, what's that? I said, I've been thinking about it, and I think it's a great idea. I said, what? I said, how about in a year that's been so improbable? <laughs> and then he cut me off, and he said, I believe it's already been taken. Yes. Um, and, and, and so that really was about the extent of it. And, and so the whole, one of the things I've learned over the years is don't try to prepare for a call. Uh, um, I learned the hard way uh, in, nine, in 2001. Uh, I covered Bond's last 13 games, uh, and I called home runs 78 through 73 on ESPN radio. And on the 70th, I thought I would write something that would sound more highfalutin than it should have been. And it was awful. I just, it was, it just didn't work. What did and you say? I don't even remember. You know, I kind of <laughs> stumbled over the a script that I, it just didn't, it didn't work. I learned my lesson. Um, and so from that point on, and then, you know, 2003, Aaron Boone and, and, and some of the other ones along the way before and after. Uh, but this one, the, the, I was thinking all day, that day, what a horrible year it's been. It just, uh, 2020, and let's see, hopefully 2021 will be better. But it was just such a hard year. It was hard doing everything up to and including playing baseball through a pandemic and, and fans, Dodger fans in particular, who I'm talking to, they're at home. They want their team to win. They don't care under what circumstance. And, and so the word joy was just in my head going into the game, during the game, and then uh, you know, where suddenly, at least for a little while, uh, there would be joy because this unrelenting weight had finally been removed from our collective shoulders. Um, and, you know, there is joy in Mudville. And so I, that was how it came about. I, I didn't necessarily think precisely of the script, but I thought, all right, this is what I, I would like to convey. And, and I hope that it too has the legs of Aaron Boone. Yeah, it, it was, it was a great call and I'm glad cause I wasn't listening, listening to it live. I'm glad that I got to listen to it afterwards because you know, let me just jump in Jake, because there's a big difference between doing a game nationally on television and locally on radio. They're entirely different disciplines, like playing basketball 
full court or half court. You, know, you still have to put the ball in the hoop. But how you get there is, uh, is entirely different. A baseball broadcaster makes his call, leans back, lays out, and let the crowd take over. Radio, there is all you can do is paint an accompanying picture to what to what you're seeing. So so Joe does it his way in his medium. I did it in my way on my medium. Exactly. Yeah, that's a good point to make. Um, you know, again, and one other thing, when Vin made that great call in '88, uh, uh, on the other hand, you had uh, Jack Buck, Joe's Jack Buck, say saying, I don't believe what I just saw. Um, so there are different ways of going about it. And Jack's call was a national uh, CBS network call, radio. And, and Vin was, was on television. And Vin, right. of course, was, the, was, is, and will always be the preeminent baseball poet. Right. And that's why he was able to allow for Gibson pretty much to, to get to third base before he said the, that famous line. Because a lot of people think that it was like all to all together, but it wasn't. He let no, it. No, no, breathe. no. When, when Vin had his night at Dodger Stadium, I don't know, five years ago, whatever it was, when his name was put up on on the side of the wall there, and I, one of the highlights of my career was to MC that uh, ceremony at Dodger Stadium, and 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 I said at the time, and I believe it now, that was the single greatest play-by-play call. I'd ever heard in mm-hmm. any sport because it, it was two parts. One, she is gone. And you see the red lights out beyond the stadium stopping and the fans going crazy. And then there was a 19 second pause between um, she is gone and then in a year that is so improbable. Right. So those were two immortal calls in one. Yes. Um, and the only person on earth who's ever done this for a living who could have done that was Vin. Yeah. So I wanted to talk to you about when you joined the Dodgers because you essentially replaced Ross Porter. And the way it was set up with Vinny, who always was by himself, but you had Ross Porter and Rick Monday not together, but separately and they would trade off during the games. But mm-hmm. when you got there, it sort of changed, it was changed to yeah. a two-man booth. What was that process like? How did that all come about? Well, what was fascinating is because of the uniqueness of Vin and you know just the sheer quality of his broadcast, uh, he didn't need anybody else in the booth. He didn't want anybody else in the booth. And so they would, when Vin took a couple of innings off, uh, Mo would go in and do an inning or two, or, or Porter would do an inning or two. And so basically it was three men doing solo broadcasts. Um, and so Monday and, and Porter were never on the air together. Right. Um, and so when I came in, almost every other broadcast group for any team had two-man booths. This was not on you. The Dodgers were unique. Right. So when I came in and, and Mo and I were going to work as a team, it was like, fine. Never even thought about it being uh, the least bit unusual. It was unusual 
to Dodger fans who'd only heard one man in the booth at a time. Um, that I always found a little confounding. And I remember having to tell folks who raised the question, this is the way it's done everywhere else. <laughs> yeah. This is not We're doing it normally. Deal. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and Mo and I, again, it's going to be our 17th season together. Uh, we are friends. We're partners. Um, I'm, I'm so lucky to have, you know, worked alongside him. You know, I have not seen him face to face since well, I saw him for two days at the end of February last year. Mm -hmm. But the last time we were really together was uh, uh, October of 2019. So we haven't seen one another. Uh, but yet we were able to broadcast games this past season here at Dodger Stadium, me at my home. Um, and it, it was it was seamless. It, it, we were very lucky. And again, that was a product of us, you know, just spending so much time together and having this this natural chemistry. Uh, yeah. So we're, that's what it was. That's the genesis. And, uh, you know, we're getting ready to do it again. Only this year I, I'm going to come out of uh, uh, the groundhog hole and and head to Dodger Stadium and, and He'll be there with me, and we'll finally get to see one another. The, the, I think Dodgers fans obviously were spoiled for years with Vin Scully, but sure. also they've been spoiled by Rick Monday because not often do you see a former player, typically a former player, when they join the broadcast booth, they're the color commentator. But Rick is actually a great play-by-play -play broadcaster as well. Do you find that, like, has he ever started an inning for you? Like, if you're coming back from the bathroom or something like that, yeah. or yeah. like, yeah. I mean, what, what do you I think? Mean, of, it, it, what do you think of his play-by-play -play skills? I'm sure you've heard it. Mo, you know, look, Mo, Mo is the quintessential baseball guy. He was the very first pick in a draft. So every year when the draft is, I always address him as the George Washington of baseball. <laughs> so he has been around the game. You know, he he's he's terrific at what he does. Um, and, and again, I, I, I can't tell you how lucky I am um, that he has been my partner. You know, again, for the most part, uh, if, if I'm going to, you know, for a half a second because the line was too long at the urinal. I know he'll be there and he'll be fine. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, again, Mo is Mo, and I'm lucky that I'm his partner. Yeah. We're lucky to have both of you, honestly. Um, the, the one final question that I have for you is maybe not a simple one, but it's one that I ask every one of my guests in one form or another, but why, why do you love baseball? It takes me back to when I was five years old, when I first kind of discovered the game and playing on a side street in my little small hometown on Long Island where first base was a tree, second base was a pile of newspapers with a couple of rocks on it, so that uh, the papers wouldn't fly away. Third base was another tree. And then, you know, we hit fungos 
from the home plate area. There was this wonderful sense of innocence about it all. And then first listening to Brooklyn Dodger games with Vin on the radio, I was, you know, I am transformed as, as often as I hope to be, or maybe not often enough, to that, that time of innocence when the game was just wonderful and fun. And I'm a little kid who is giggling uh, along with the other little kids who are giggling when we're playing. So that's what I, that's what draws me to the game. I remember the first time I went to Ebbets Field, which was a tiny little band box that barely sat 30,000. And yet it was the biggest thing I'd ever seen. And the grass is greener than any grass I'd ever seen. And it, it's that moment of, youthful innocence that that keeps me focused on the game do i care about the salaries and the unions and all that stuff no of course not but when they're actually just playing the game there there is just there's that word again there's this joy that uh, that that comes from the field and hopefully into my brain and eyes and out of my mouth that I'm able to convey. So it goes back to that word joy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Did you ever, you ever find yourself um, rooting for the team that you're broadcasting for? I mean, especially you said you grew up, at, you know, listening to Brooklyn Dodger games. I, I'm always nervous about being a homer. Um, my feeling has been in whether it's a broadcasting for the Dodgers or the Yankees, or the Jets, or the Generals in the USFL, or college football, or done. My feeling has always been that I really don't want to be a homer. Uh, what I do fundamentally understand is those who are listening, for the most part, 90, 95% of them, are in this case Dodger fans. So it's in their best interest, the team's best interest, my best interest that they win and do well. If they don't, it's my obligation to explain why they didn't. And so that's that's the tightrope I walk in trying to maintain some uh, balance in, in a broadcast. Again, so when the Dodgers won and there was joy, yes. And, and do I feel better that they won than losing? Of course. So yeah. that old story, it, it, you've won and you've lost, it's better to win, you've been rich, you've been poor, it's better to be rich, all of that stuff. Um, but there's also, for me, that fine line, and my career began in, in news and, and, and hard journalism, uh, to tell the story as fairly and as accurately as possible. Love that answer. I have a news background myself. I think that it's helped me cross over into sports, just having that awareness that you are, are there, are there to do a job. You're not there to be a fan. Telling um, a story. That, yeah, that's what I story. do. I'm telling a story. And uh, so whether it was Boone in that moment or the Dodgers and, and, and the sense of joy, that was, you know, the moment as I saw it and felt it and, and hopefully was able to convey it. Awesome. Charlie, thank you so much for coming on Meeting on the Mound. Hopefully you had a nice time. I, I definitely did. 
It was utterly painless. Thank you, Jake. <laughs> of course, man. Take care. 